0: Hey everyone, I'm Larry Castle. This is Ken Brown. Welcome to episode 15 of That's a Good Question. How do we know we have the right books in the Bible? Pastor Kent, today on That's a Good Question, we're going to discuss something that arises pretty frequently when you're talking with unbelievers, and uh, it's the question uh, that, as well, many Christians aren't comfortable, uh, don't feel confident in answering. And the question is, how do we know we have the right books in the Bible? And that will lead into questions like, have, have any books of the Bible been lost? Uh, what is the process by which we've collected these ancient writings, and uh, classified them as being part of the Bible. So let's start out with some background, and then we can move into the specific question of how we have the books we have in the Bible today.
1: Okay. Well, our word Bible, it comes from uh, the Greek word biblion, and it just means book. So you know that you have a really special volume when it's just known as The book and of course the bible is the book of all books best-selling book of all time has a message that has changed lives it's impacted whole civilizations it's impacted the course of history but the bible's not just the book of all books but it is itself a single book that's also a collection of the individual books that comprise it so the one bible is really 66 individual books written by 40 different authors over at least a 1,500-year period. And so the first book, possibly the book of Job, was written at least 1,500 years before the last book, the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And so all of that then raises the question that you started with, which books are to be included, and what was the process by which that came about?
0: So you, you said something there. You said uh, that probably does, uh, justifies clarification for people. You said Job is the earliest mm-hmm. book. A lot of people probably listening are thinking, wait, I thought Genesis was the first book.
1: Right. Well, a lot of scholars, many scholars believe Job lived before Moses. Now, mm-hmm. Moses wrote the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And in fact, he wrote the first five, first five books of the Bible. So it's true that the content of Genesis, that very first book of the Bible, is the oldest content, in fact, in the, in the universe, as far as we humans are concerned, since it begins with creation. And therefore, it's one reason that it's placed first in the Bible. It starts in the beginning, and the word Genesis even means beginning or origin. But based in part on some of the language and the terms that are used in the book of Job, and also the fact that the book of Job makes no reference whatever to the law of Moses that's given in those first five books, then it's assumed by many that Job was written before the books that that Moses wrote. So that's why I said the first book of the Bible was written at least 1,500 years before the last book, because... Hmm. We know that Moses lived in the 15th century BC, that is the 1400s before before Christ. And if Job was written before that, then he would have been before the 15th century BC.
0: Gotcha. So, can, can I ask, how do we know Moses lived in the 15th century before Christ? Um, it's not directly related to our topic, but. I think it will uh, help remind us that the Bible's divided into two major parts. So so when we talk about how the books came to be in the Bible, uh, we need to talk about and recognize those different parts. So how do we know Moses lived in the 15th century BC?
1: Well, the Bible itself provides some time markers for the events that occurred in the life of Moses. One of those uh, passages that gives us a time marker is found in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 6 and verse 1 1 kings 6 1 here's what it says in the 480th year after the israelites came out of egypt in the fourth year of solomon's reign over israel he solomon began to build the temple of the lord so this makes reference to the israelites coming out of egypt we know that as the exodus second book in the bible is that name and the big event recorded in the book of Exodus is indeed the Israelites coming out of of Egypt, and that is an event in the life of Moses. Most of us know the story. If nothing else, we've seen Charlton Heston on the (laughs) Ten Commandments, and we know that Moses led that uh, move out of Egypt and into and toward the promised land. So that occurred, according to 1 Kings 6.1, it occurred 408 years uh, before the fourth year of Solomon as the king. So if we know when Solomon began to reign, we could do the math and Solomon became king in 970 970 BC. The 4th mm-hmm. year of his reign then would have been uh would have been 966 BC and 480 years before that the Bible is saying is when the Exodus occurred. And if you do that math that comes to 1446 BC. So we know that the Exodus occurred in the middle of the 15th century, 1446 BC. And so Moses lived at that time. But Moses also wrote about events in the first book, Genesis, that were, of course, long before his own time, thousands of years before the the Exodus. He wrote about the creation. And then later the flood and the Tower of Babel, and then God's call of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and these were all before Moses lived. So Moses wrote about them. He was given revelation from God uh, about them in order to be able to write them down for us. But Moses lived. Moses himself lived in the fifteenth century BC.
0: Okay. So uh, let's let's talk then about the those books in the first part of the Bible. So you've got the books of Moses, and then thirty or some others uh, Job probably the first uh, which uh, what are those books and how many of them are there
1: so the Bible is divided into these two major sections we've got the old we, we speak of the Old Testament and the New Testament the Old Testament is dominated by the old covenant of the law so this is God making a covenant with his people, Israel, and he's giving Israel his law. And that law is not just the 10 commandments, but it is in fact, 613 laws and, and prohibitions. 613 contained in the overall law that God gives to regulate the life of, of his people. And so it's called the old, the old Testament. It's under the old covenant of the law. You come to the New Testament, when Jesus Christ comes, when the promised Messiah comes, and that's dominated by the new covenant that he, Christ, inaugurated on on the cross. So the law is no longer the organizing principle for God's people. We don't do, we are not commanded to do the things that are contained in the law, like offer sacrifices, separate certain kinds of fabrics and only wear certain kinds, avoid certain kinds of foods, all of those things that were part of God's law under which he organized his people Israel, has now been done away in Christ. And we have a new covenant. We have the New Testament. So you have the Old Testament and you have have the New Testament. Now, the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament, is all written before Christ came. So it's all B.C., before Christ. And the Old Testament has 39 books. They were all written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. All of the books of the Old Testament, 39 of them, 27 in the New Testament, total of 66. Old Testament in Hebrew, New Testament in Greek, a very small portion of the Old Testament written in a language called Aramaic.
0: Okay, so that gets right directly to our question then. How, how do we know that the 39 books that we have in the Old Testament are the right ones? You know, how, how do we know that what was supposed to be included in the Old Testament was included?
1: Well, accounting for the books in the Old Testament is easier than the New Testament. And the reason for that is we have an absolute authority who has commented on this subject for us, namely the Lord Jesus him, himself. The 39 books of the Old Testament, again, were written and collected before God came to earth in Jesus Christ. So at the time Jesus walks the earth 2000 years ago, the Old Testament had been completely written and was already had already been completed for several hundred years by the time Jesus came.
0: Sorry, I was messing with my computer there. <laughs> So so Jesus you're saying Jesus had the Old Testament and uh did did he make statements about the books that are in there uh, or anything that would help us as we consider this issue?
1: Well that's what makes then defining the parameters of the Old Testament easier than the new because you have Jesus coming after the time of the completion of the Old Testament he has the Old Testament in his possession And he made comments that bear upon which books comprise the Old Testament. And so here are some examples. One is Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Luke 24, 44. Jesus said this, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in these three sections, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, it's not accidental that he uses these three terms, law, prophets and psalms because that turns out to be the three divisions of the old testament both then and now the jewish old testament that's used by observant jews to this day is uh, comprised of these three sections law the prophets and we'll see this third section is most often called the the writings and so jesus uses that threefold division that was that was very very common and It includes those three sections the 39 books that are in our Old Testament the law that's the section of Moses and the first five books of the Old Testament the first five books of the Jewish Old Testament first five books of the Old Testament that we use Genesis Exodus Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy same same thing then the other 34 books are divided among those other two sections the prophets and the writings, the sacred, the sacred writings. Now it's normally called Law Prophets writings. Jesus says Law Prophets Psalms. Why does he do that? Well, Psalms turns out to be the first and the largest of the books in that third section called the writings. So sometimes it's just called the uh, the Psalms. So Law Prophets and writings, or Law Prophets Psalms. That's what Jesus referring to is referring to. And he was referring to the same 39 books that we have 2,000 years ago he was saying that. And then today that's the same. If you have a Hebrew Old Testament, which I which I have, and on the cover of my Hebrew Old Testament, there are these three Hebrew words, Torah, Law, Nabi'im, Prophets. Well, there we go. All right. A visual aid. There it is right there. And, uh, yeah, and it goes not from, you know, left to right, but it goes from right to left in, in Hebrew. So Torah, Nabiim, and then Ketubim, and that's law, prophets, and and writings, right on the, on the cover for that reason. It's almost like what our Bible would say. If you have a Bible that says Holy Bible on the cover, then that's what it would say for—that's what it says for a Jewish Old Testament. This is their Holy Bible, 39 books— divided into those three sections. So Jesus says, he gives us those parameters.
0: Same 39 as ours, like you were saying, and he, I've heard you in some of the classes we offer here at CBC, go through some other key things that Jesus has said uh, to help us understand this. Could you go over some of those?
1: Yeah, he said that in Luke twenty four forty four, but he also made uh, comments elsewhere. Uh, and a couple of those are, he made the same uh statements in matthew 23 matthew 23 and verse 35 matthew 23 35 and also luke eleven fifty one, 51 luke eleven fifty one. 51 now matthew and luke are both recording the life and teaching of jesus sometimes the gospel what we call the gospel writers matthew mark luke john sometimes they'll record the same incident Uh, and they'll give uh, sometimes some additional information about the same incident. Here are Matthew and Luke doing that. And in both of them, Matthew and Luke, the situation is Jesus finds himself in dispute with the Jewish religious leaders, as he very often did. They came to despise him. They came to hate him. They ultimately rejected him and participated in his, his crucifixion. So Matthew 23 he is disputing with the Jewish religious leaders. Luke 11, he's doing the same. You could look at either of those passages and you'll see that that's the context. And he says, I'll read the one from Luke 11, 51. He says to them, you will be held responsible for the blood of all of the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah. The blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, Jesus says. Now, it's interesting that he does that. The blood of Abel, we would understand because we know, most of us do, that that occurred in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. It's the first human murder, uh, Cain killing his brother Abel. And so Jesus starts there from the beginning, from that first murder, the blood of Abel. But then he says the blood of Zechariah. And where is that recorded? It turns out that that's told about in the book of 2nd Chronicles. 2nd mm-hmm. Chronicles. Now, if you know your Old Testament and the arrangement of the books a little bit, you know it starts with Genesis, as we've said. But our Old Testament and our 39 books, the 39th is Malachi. It's not 2nd Chronicles. So here's Jesus saying, beginning Genesis, but then he says 2nd Chronicles. No, now why is that? Here's, here's what's interesting. In the arrangement of the Old Testament books in the Jewish arrangement, the arrangement that Jesus had, it's the same 39 books. It's that threefold division of law, prophets, and writings. But the order of the books, after you get past the first five, the books of Moses, after Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, after that, the arrangement is different. And the last book in the Jewish arrangement is not Malachi, it is 2 Chronicles. So what Jesus was saying to his audience is, you are responsible for the blood of all of the prophets from the beginning to the, and this is the important part, the end. Jesus demarcates 2 Chronicles as as the end. Now he had other writings available to him that were written after 2 Chronicles, but he doesn't consider those the end he doesn't include those within the parameter of what, the scope of what he's saying. It's Genesis to Second Chronicles.
0: Yeah, this, this is a good time probably to ask about, uh, there are some uh, differences between the, our Protestant Bible and the Roman Catholic Bible. They've got some additional books that, like the books of the Old Testament, were available at the time of Jesus, right? So how do we know those Mm -hmm. aren't included in the Old Testament? You kind of alluded to. Uh,
1: Yeah. So you have the end of the Old Testament and the end of the writings of the Old Testament. And that end occurs historically in terms of time period about 400 years before the beginning of the New Testament. So what you have now in in your Bible is you have the Old Testament, you have the New Testament, but in between you have a about a 400-year period where there are books written, of course, but there are no scriptural books that are being being written. Mm. So there were books of history. There were books of general interest that were, were written. And here's an, here's an example of that. First and second Maccabees. Some of you may have heard of that. Maybe you've had a Catholic Bible and you've seen that included in your Bible, 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Well, those books are actually valuable. They're valuable because they're historical. They tell, uh, for example, the story of this family that 1st and 2nd Maccabees is named for that led a Jewish revolt against Rome because Rome had taken over Jerusalem, had desecrated the temple. And so there was this Jewish revolt to recapture the temple and rededicate the temple. And three years after the desecration of the temple in, I think it was 164 or 165, one or the other, 164, 165 BC, actually December 25th to the day of 164 or 165, they were able to rededicate the, the temple, and they initiated a a celebration that is known today as Hanukkah. That's how that started. But it's between the Testaments. It's between the, the end of the Old, beginning of the New, in that 400-year period, and 1st and 2nd Maccabees talk about that. Well, that's very helpful to us. And some of the things that were written during that time also tell us about things that we're going to encounter when we come now to the, the New Testament. Uh, we're going to encounter groups of people like the Pharisees. You find that name of uh, Jewish religious leaders, a sect called the Pharisees, the Sadducees. You may you may remember some of that. Well, where did those guys develop, and 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 why do you find in the New Testament that they're often in disagreement with one another? Some of that developed during that intertestamental period as well. So there were things written things that can aid us in our understanding of what we're going to find later in the New Testament, they're helpful, but they're not scriptural. They are not mm. part of, of Holy Scripture. And Jesus did not consider those to be part of the Bible of the, his day. He had them, he had them available to him, but he did not quote from them, interestingly. When he would say his oft-repeated, you remember he would often say, it is written? And when he would say it is written, it would invariably be followed by something that is in the book 39 books of the Old Testament. But not from these other books that were written during that time. Seven additional books written during that time that uh, the Roman Catholic Bible includes for reasons I'll talk about in a minute. But Jesus did not recognize with the same authority as the books of the old testament and as i've already said he excluded them by giving the beginning and the end and the end was beginning blood of abel and blood of zachariah with second chronicles these other books were written after second chronicles jesus did not include them in what is scripture of the old testament
0: yeah so that that's probably you mentioned that you might say this but so why do roman catholics Uh, include that in their Bible, do they consider it to be scripture?
1: They do consider it to be scripture and are pretty serious about it, as as a matter of fact. Now, these were often included, these books were often included in uh, in codices, uh, that is, uh, books that had the 39 books, and they would be included as a valuable historical reference. In fact, uh, and they help give some information that bridges the gap between the end of the Old Testament and the the beginning of the New. Again, helpful historical information. In fact, the King James Bible, this surprises people. But the original King James Bible had these seven books in it. Um, Those seven books are called the Apocrypha. Maybe some of you have heard that term, Apocrypha. So that's what they're called. And the original King James had the Apocrypha in it. Now, the King James translators make a point of saying that these are not scripture but they are included because historically they were included, they had this helpful information, but not recognized on the same level with the other 39 books of the Old Testament. And I said that Roman Catholicism is pretty serious about including these. Uh, I say that because at a council, a Roman Catholic council in the 16th century, the 1500s, the year 1563 to be exact, the Council of Trent, Council of Trent, pronounced that everyone must recognize these 46 books, not 39, 46, seven additional books written during that intertestamental period. So your Bible must include a total of not 66, but 73 books, said the Council of Trent, on the pain of damnation. You must believe that. So when I say they're serious about including those, that's that's pretty serious. But we stand on perfectly solid ground in following what Jesus said about the parameters of the Old Testament and what's to be included in it
0: great so so that helps us understand then how we arrive at how we understand the uh, Old Testament it's pretty straightforward Jesus can confirm those parameters for us but what about the New Testament then
1: Yeah, it's different because of what you said. You know, we have Jesus doing that, but it's different with the New Testament because you do not have Christ confirming the books that are written and already collected. But here's what Jesus did do for us. He doesn't come along after the fact, as was the case with the Old Testament, but he actually begins the New Testament. He begins the New Covenant. And so the books are yet to be written. But he does this he pre-authenticates those mm. books and he does that as he is talking to his apostles these special emissaries that he is going to send out to do his work to begin the mission for his church on earth to establish the church and the apostles we pointed out you and i had a discussion a couple of weeks ago we had a two-part series on whether or not miracles are still happening. The conclusion was that yes, the the Lord can do extraordinary supernatural things, of course, but he doesn't do those through miracle workers. But the apostles were miracle workers. They were given this power to do this, to authenticate who they were, that they had this special mission from Jesus. They were able to, on command, tell people to rise up and walk. They were able to tell people uh, to be raised from the dead and they were raised from the dead. No one's able to do that today. That was a special gift they were given to show that they were the authentic representatives of Jesus to establish his church and begin his his mission. But one of those extraordinary things they were able to do, unique things they were able to do, was write scripture. And Jesus pre-authenticated what they were going to do because when he was with them, in fact, the night before he was crucified, he's troubling, uh, he's settling their troubled hearts, and he says to them, uh, when I leave, uh, you will not be left alone, because I am going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and in John chapter 14 and verse 26, John fourteen twenty-six, 26, he says that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your remembrance everything that I've commanded you, and then he says again on that same night, John 16 and verse 13, John sixteen thirteen, uh, that he will guide you into all truth. So here they are now equipped as they will be with this gifting from the Holy Spirit to remember, have perfect recall and to be guided by the Lord into truth so that they will be able to communicate that to others, write it down themselves. So the New Testament then uh, is comprised of books written by the apostles or in some cases by those who were direct associates of the apostles. And so the apostles became the touchstone for canonicity, the canon of the Bible.
0: So, all right, I gave you a pass on pre-authenticate, but I got to stop you on canonicity. <laughs> we, we have to explain to people what we mean by that. I'm here to keep okay, it yeah, uh, at the level of the average person.
1: <laughs> and that's not hard for me either. Um, so canon, when we say canon, we don't mean canon with three N's. It's spelled C-A-N-O-N, not C-A-N-N-O-N, like firing a cannon, but rather the canon. And what it means, the word canon means a standard. So sometimes you might hear preachers or teachers speak of the canon of scripture, and that refers to the collection of writings that meet the standard to be included in the Bible. So what was the standard used to determine canonicity, for the books of the New Testament. Well, the apostles, as I've already said, they were the touchstone for that. And so the word apostolicity uh, is used. And that means that the book was written by an apostle or an associate of an apostle. It had apostolic authority. And this explains then why false books, books that claimed to have uh, scriptural authority, authority from God, but did not, it's why that they would falsely use names of apostles to claim this divine divine authority.
0: Yeah, so like uh, there's been much written and said about uh, books, so-called lost books, like the Gospel of Thomas. So that's, in fact, that's mm-hmm. not something mm-hmm. new that's been around for a long time. Sometimes folks will hear it and think, oh, there's this new discovery, but that's the kind of thing you're referring to
1: that's what it is right uh, because it was necessary to have the seal of approval the imprimatur of the of an apostle in order for a book to be considered as part of the canon so it's then should be no surprise that you'd find books written over the first few centuries after the apostles claiming to be genuinely apostolic and they would use names like the gospel of thomas or of, of Barnabas associate close associate of Paul obviously these are called pseudepigrapha that's pseudo meaning meaning false grapha meaning writings these are false writings and their content and their timing do not fit the bible in their content they are inconsistent with some of the things that they say the time that they were written was not in the first century and so these were not ap- these were not apostolic and so the, the first test of canonicity, meeting the standard, was uh, apostleship or apostolicity. And then there were other tests for, for meeting the standard. One was consistency. Consistency. Is what's contained in this book consistent with other doctrine that's taught in uh, elsewhere in Scripture? And then you had uh, another category. Uh, a test catholicity now that we get Catholic from that, but that's with a small C the word Catholic simply means universal. Uh, so when the Roman Catholic church, the Roman Catholic church is making an extraordinary claim when it calls itself that it's saying, this is the universal church. We are the church headquartered in Rome, Roman universal church. But Catholic, Catholicity, small c, simply means universal. And the idea then, as it applies to books of the Bible, meeting the canon, the standard, is were these universally received? Were these overall received by God's people as having the ring of authenticity, the ring of authority as coming from God?
0: So when uh, we talk about tests of canonicity, who, who applied those? Was this something that was done formally by church authorities? Hmm.
1: Hmm. Well, that's what Roman Catholicism says, and many of you, many of our viewers may have heard that, that the books of the New Testament are really bequeathed to us by the church. They are a gift to us from the church. The church, they say, is the authority that determines what books are to be in the Bible. Now, there were councils that met in the first centuries of the church to address, primarily these councils were called in order to address issues that were uh, being contended uh, at that time. And so there were heretics, false teachers, uh, and they were harming uh, the witness of, of the church. And so Christians gathered in these councils to discuss the issues at hand and then to often promulgate uh, a, a a creed, a statement of what the scriptures actually teach about the matter at hand. So as an example, the Council of Nicaea, Council of Nicaea in the uh, in the fourth century, 325 A.D. And it clarified what the Bible teaches about Christ and Christ's deity, that he is truly, fully God and that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, this is important. They didn't invent that doctrine of the Trinity. Many cults will say that. They will point to the Council of Nicaea, and they will say, look, that really came from here. It's not it's not the Bible. No, what they were doing was simply clarifying and stating what the Bible already taught. And so they were not uh, creating this truth. They were simply recognizing truth that already existed likewise after the new testament was written there are then heretics uh who had developed their own canon and so a council gathers that would list those books that were used by the churches in recognition of their their canonicity so what those councils did this is important they did not recognize the authority of these uh, uh they they simply recognize the authority of these books. They did not confer authority on them. They already had authority. So no such formal process was necessary. In fact, long before, long before any council met to come up with a list of scriptural books that meet the canon, long before that ever happened, you already had the canon of scripture being recognized and formed by God's by God's people. Even as the books were being written, this was happening. So let me give let me give a few examples of that. In uh First Timothy chapter five and verse 18. 1 Timothy five, eighteen, it says this: Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. That's first Timothy five, eighteen. Now, that's a very interesting passage because right in that one little verse, it quotes two verses, one from the Old Testament and another from the the New Testament. Hmm. So that verse about do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 7. And then it says the worker deserves his wages. And that's something Jesus said that's recorded in Luke chapter 10 and verse 7. Now, what's interesting is 1 Timothy 5.18 says, Scripture says. Mm-hmm. So it's equating what was said in the Old Testament as Scripture with now what Luke has just written. Luke's, the Gospel of Luke's brand new. But Luke has written that some of what Jesus said, the worker deserves his wages calls them both scripture and there's no council there's no time for any council to meet to recognize any of that Paul Paul wrote nearly half of the 27, 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament the Apostle Paul he says in 1st Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37 1st Corinthians 14 37 what I am writing to you is the Lord's command and so Paul recognized he had this apostolic authority and his writings then were were authoritative and, and from the Lord. And then you have not only very early on, like the Gospel of Luke, as it's, you know, just come hot off the press, as it were, being recognized as scripture, not only is Paul, as he is writing, recognizing his own writings as authoritative writings, scripture, but then you have the other apostles recognizing the work of each other as it's happening in the first century. An example of that is Peter the apostle Peter. And Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, 2 Peter 3, 16. He says, Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures. Now that last phrase is really important, the other scriptures because what Peter is doing is equating these letters of Paul with the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Now remember, back in 1 Timothy 5.18, scripture from Deuteronomy, scripture from Luke, scripture is a special category of writings, authoritative writings that have come from God. It was a technical term that was only applied to those kinds of authoritative writings. And that's why the Bible says 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed.
0: That's really helpful. So uh, safe to conclude that uh, the books that are in the New Testament are supposed to be there. Uh, Just to answer the question that might be in somebody's mind, have we lost any?
1: Yeah, sometimes you'll have people ask that, you know, did we lose any of the books of the Bible? But uh, if you think about it, just as a, a theological principle, that I would really encourage everyone to uh, really take to heart. And that is inspiration. And that is what the what we refer to when we talk about the process by which God gave us the Bible, the Holy Spirit, using the apostles in the Old Testament, using the prophets, uh, men of God, to write what he wanted written and overseeing the entire process to make sure it came out as he wanted. Well, if God goes to all of that trouble, over all of those centuries to produce these books and give us the book. If God goes to all of that trouble to give us an inspired book, then it does follow that a corollary of that is that God is going to preserve it, one, mm-hmm. that we're not going to lose the content of the Bible. And sure enough, we have manuscripts galore of the Bible, so that God has preserved his word. If he's going to take the trouble to give it and inspire it, then he's going to preserve it, and he is going to make sure that the books that he intended us to have will be in our possession. So I say it this way, certainly not unique with me, uh, but that preservation and canonization are corollaries of inspiration. God gave it, therefore God's going to make sure that we have it.
0: Great, really, really helpful, Pastor Ken. So, uh, there are lots of other things that could be said about this. Uh, Dr. Combs taught a whole class on last semester how we got our Bible. Uh, so, that's something folks can take in the future. But is there any further reading you would suggest or other resources?
1: Yeah, I got a, a few things. One, uh, I would recommend that uh, folks consider taking our classes. I'm going to make a plug for <laughs> our uh, midweek classes that are starting up in just about uh, 10 days. Ah, I uh, didn't put a graphic so on up the here. 20 I wasn't ready 30, for it. <laughs> <laughs> so Wednesday the 23rd. We are going to have two classes and one of those classes we will deal with some of this in that class but more of course how to get the most out of your bible and that is a class that is one of our two foundational classes we encourage everybody in in our church to take those we think it lays a good foundation for you to understand your bible understand where it came from how it's laid out and how to get the most out of it and then dr combs is going to be teaching a class at the same time on Wednesday nights called Between the Testaments. Mm -hmm. And that'll be a fascinating class, Uh, and it is going to talk about that 400-year period and some of the things that occurred there historically that set the stage for then the coming of Christ and the the New Testament. If you have never taken How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible, then that's what you should take. If you have taken that, then you will love taking the Between the Testaments class. So those Mm -hmm. two classes. And then we have some books. Um, I was going to throw in there if two of them are folks want to if oh, folks want
0: to register for that uh, they can do that at our website if you're thinking about it right now and you're going ah I keep forgetting they start a week from this Wednesday so head on over or uh, back That was back quick up work getting website, that up there yeah. all right <laughs> but, <laughs> then don't Good call deal. me Pastor Geek for nothing well I've got just
1: I've <laughs> uh, just got a few books two of them are uh, by the same author Michael. Kruger. K-R-U-G-R. K-R-U-G-R. And he, over the last several years, has done uh, much work on this issue of canonicity. So if you're very interested in the topic, you want to know more, he's written some books. One is just called The New Testament Canon. The New Testament Canon. And that's a small book. It's easy to read. Um, So if you want more, that would be a good one to get. And then he's written a larger work uh, as well called canon revisited canon revisited so both of those michael Kruger. and then there's a, a just a book called a general introduction to the bible and it has a section on uh, a fairly large section on canonicity very easy to read and understand a general introduction to the bible it's by norman geisler that's g-i-e-s-l-e-r-g-e-i i'm sorry g-e-i-s-l-e-r norman geisler and William Nix, N-I-X, Geisler and Nix.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Pastor Ken. That was uh, extremely helpful as usual. Hope you at home who are watching found this helpful. And I just want to remind you, if you don't already, to follow us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you'll be notified when any new uh, episodes come out. And then also, if you'd like to find out more about any of the resources, the classes you heard, Go by our website, cbctrenton.com, and check it out. And uh, if you have any questions you'd like to submit, we'll tell you more on our outro and how to uh, get any questions to us. But thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you in the next episode. If you have a question you'd like us to consider, you can send that into our email address, info at or text it to us at nine
1: seven zero zero zero.